just go into it very open-minded and don't say, don't, you know, get down if, if things surprise you or are a little bit more difficult than you thought. Um, you don't want to be there and be somebody who everything is about them because on like a professional team where you're getting paid, it's not all about you, but you also cannot fall into the mix where you're not, they bring you from America and you're not playing well enough and you don't matter as much to the team. You know, you have to go into it where you're the main guy without causing problems. Treat basketball the same way as you've always treated it. It's the reason that you have the opportunity in the first place. But um, yeah, just don't don't expect things to go the same way as they did for for somebody else. Um, same as playing, always you know put in that little bit extra work after practice, extra shots. Like you're only gonna get you know one chance at it and each summer is kind of your one chance at it because you never really know what's going to happen so you know just take advantage of it and you know never never take it for granted but never put you know too much on it where if it's not going how you have expected you know don't get down on yourself or or Mm -hmm. or or something like that because everything's going to be different everything it's going to be a different culture every year um different expectations every year from you know where you end up so it's always kind of Go with the flow, roll with the punches is is the biggest thing that you can keep in mind. Another season in the books, the podcast featuring European professional athletes who pursue their university degrees at home or in the United States. We'll talk about the ups and the downs, the pros and the cons. We'll hear from each athlete as they talk about their journey through academics and athletics. I'll also be talking to coaches and getting their opinion on the subject as well. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 11-year veteran in Spain's professional basketball leagues, Liga Femenina 2 and La Liga Endesa. Let's get to it! Keep an open mind, treat basketball like you've always treated it, and roll with the punches. Wise words from a six-year veteran in Europe's professional basketball leagues. Nick Novak has enjoyed the grind while living out a dream that probably started when he was just a toddler, thanks to the tykes hoop his dad put next to his crib. Hard work, consistency, and the ability to adapt allowed Nick to travel the world, playing in countries like Germany, Portugal, Romania, and Spain. Joining us from Pittsburgh, here's Nick Novak. Thank you for joining me. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? I'm I'm doing all right. I'm uh, staying in my house thanks good. to the coronavirus. Yeah. And same, um, same here. Same all over the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we have this huge like natural park kind of next to our house because I went for a walk and I tried to stay as far away from anybody else as I possibly could. There but, you go. Um, I heard they're closing some parks, so I'm like, oh my gosh, please don't close that because I cannot stay in the house all day. Yeah. I mean, here it's um, pretty much the same, but it's they haven't hit us with so much of that, like the social interaction stuff where, you know, stay this far apart from people and everything. And I'm kind of lucky in in Pittsburgh. We don't have, you know, too much going on yet compared to like um, like in Italy or uh, New York City or something like that, where they have a lot. So I'm sure it's coming. (laughs) So we actually were we were just out running some errands. So it was kind of like even nice just to do that and not have to worry about being holed up yet. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, hopefully it continues that way and they're able to, you know, stop the spreading. 
um, because it's it's a weird feeling. It's a weird yeah. sensation. Yeah. Yeah. Weird for everybody, I think. Yeah. But um, all right. So getting to it. Um, if you can think real quick and tell me about your first sports memory. First, like I would say absolute sports memory, which is pretty weird is um, I remember I, I guess it's just something that's very important to remember, but I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it is um, just my dad like showing me putting a, we, I remember moving to a new house, putting like a, the hoop in the driveway and my dad just standing underneath and being like, it's right there. You hit that square, the ball's going to go in. <laughs> I mean like right handed, right side of the hoop. He's like, listen, from here, I need you to put that ball off that square and it's going to go in no matter what, you know? And I, I guess I have some memories too of just like the Nerf hoop in my room or, you know, that kind of stuff. But as far as like thinking about like a, a, a team or anything, I just, I can never shake like, like step for step. I mean, telling me the elbow, like the string is attached to the elbow and the knee and everything, just going over that first like layup, you know, at our new house where it was like, we have the, the nice hoop in the driveway and everything. And it was just like, Wow. Went at the square, put that ball off that square, you know, everything. This is before even like follow through and, you know, yeah. hand in the cookie jar and everything. It was like, you put that ball off that square, you're going to be in good shape. Yeah. You know? The backboard is your friend. Very old um, school. Yeah. How old do you think you were? Probably, probably five or six. Okay. Um, and then I guess like a funny kind of memory too is um, uh, to go with that. And then I, I told you we're expecting a, a baby here too. So we, or going over all this stuff with my parents and they're showing me baby pictures. And, you know, I, I wish I could tell you that I remember this one, but no, no recollection of it. But, um, my dad actually had a little tykes hoop hanging over my crib. Really? Yeah. So, so he was obsessed. He was like, my yeah, kid is playing was, basketball, whether he likes it or not. Yeah. There was, <laughs> there's, there's pictures of me, like just like standing in my crib, just like putting the ball, putting the ball in the hoop and everything. But it's literally, a little tykes hoop that's pushed up against the crib so that the rim is hanging over the crib. So I can just put the ball in, pick it up, put it back in. So no, I, um, I don't think no, I've ever heard that or seen that before. No, no recollection of that one, but we have a picture. We have picture evidence. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's, it's floating around in your sub subconsciousness. Yeah, now. probably. So would you say, obviously you grew up in like a sports oriented family? Yeah, for sure. Um, my dad, for sure. My mom was an athlete, um, uh, but not so much like at the college level or at any point was probably going to like push it, <laughs> push it upon me. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I know she loved coming to everything and she loved, you know, any sport that I wanted to try. But um, my dad was a basketball guy. Um, yeah, everything was everything was kind of leading down, leading down that path. So I did plenty of other sports, um, growing up and everything too. But another funny story is, uh, in middle school, one of my friends wanted me to play lacrosse one time and, um, was actually as a seventh grader, they put me on the ninth grade team and I must've taken to it, just, um, picked it up pretty quickly. And then it's amazing. A lot of the movements are basketball. I mean, a lot of, yeah, a lot of shoulder stuff, even like, I mean, you're, you're legit on three on two fast breaks. Hmm. 
And I'm, you know, I, I throw a no look pass and the coach calls me over right away. And he's like, I think I'm going to get yelled at or something. He's like, who taught you that? You know? And I'm kind of ready to say like, listen, buddy, like if you want to meet my dad real quick, like <laughs> I already started this kind of stuff, you know? But, um, so right away, like he goes to my dad, we're going to move him up. And he says like, this kid is going to be a division one lacrosse player. And my, my dad just says, Hey, you know, this is all good and well, but he says, listen, buddy, I don't even know where he got this stick. But he says, I don't like it because people are hitting him in the wrist. You know, he says, like, I, I don't like seeing bruises on his forearms and everything, you know. So um, eventually lacrosse kind of on my own accord, though, lacrosse kind of went to the back for AAU basketball and, you know, um, hot periods for getting recruited and everything, too. But, sure. yeah, I, I did plenty of sports. But like I said, it, it was always going to kind of end up basketball, you know. Yeah. Well, men's yeah. lacrosse is super physical. Because I remember yeah. watching women's games and uh, then I saw a men's game and I was like, wait, what? Um, yeah. And I feel like it's pretty big on the East Coast. Yeah, yeah. Especially um, Maryland is kind of for us how it got started. Like it was huge in Maryland and it kind of started trickling into to Pennsylvania and Western Pennsylvania. And um, okay. I don't think I ever would have on my own picked it up yeah. really like kid I was cl really close with in like sixth grade was like he didn't play other sports he played lacrosse and um, he was like man you got to try it like you're athletic enough like you'll get the hang of it so I, just from hanging out with him I, I I got into it but it like I said it only lasted a couple years just because um, it was AAU basketball season and I was like you know what I'd rather be doing this with my like my mm -hmm. AAU teams and everything so did you start playing AAU from a pretty young age yeah I would say probably probably third or fourth grade. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which it, it, AAU is so interesting to me now to see, you know, what it has become because like, I just remember being in like probably fourth grade and just people saying like, well, you have to come play on like the better travel team. You know, like we're going to grab a couple kids from these school teams that travel and play each other, which at the time when you're, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade, you think that is, the highest level of basketball there ever was, you know, playing um, just kids from a different school. And now, now all of a sudden you're on their team and you're going to, you know, for us, it was always Ohio, um, Washington, DC were bigger tournaments way back then. So um, we got started with it pretty early, but it wasn't, I don't want to say not serious, but it was like, we went to that young, we went to, I don't know, three or four tournaments in the summertime. You know, it wasn't every weekend of your life as it kind of seems to be like now, you know? Yeah. Now it's, it's crazy. I think now almost kids are playing too much because then they get to college and their bodies are already breaking down. Right. It's even AAU now. I almost, um, just from this being my first year that I've been home from Europe, I have started to see it now that I'm home and I almost like don't understand it. <laughs> I, I don't really know what they're even like doing anymore. You know, they wear crazy jerseys and everybody stands around and you just put highlights up of nothing really. <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> like, man, you know, I used to love the idea of it because, and still like the idea of it now, because it was always playing against people who are better than you makes you better. Mm -hmm. And now it seemed to turn into, if I'm not the best one on my team, I'm going to go to a different team or play a different team to where I can play really well. So for me, it was always like, I remembered 
like going to a tournament and maybe you lose a game by 60 points or something. And then that was probably the best thing for you because it's like, you know what? We got to figure this. We just have to be better skill playing how we play together, anything. You know what I mean? Like that's probably for me, that was some of the best things that you can do is just go play against even a lot of times guys would just sign us up for, we're playing against, we're in the, you know, 13 or 14 age range. We're just going to play a team that's 16 year olds and (laughs) you just get destroyed. But you know, you have to figure out how to get better. So that's probably sure. what always helped the most from, from AAU. So you started playing AAU very young. Um, yeah. you, you were taking basketball then pretty seriously yeah. by the time you were, well, maybe in third and fourth grade, but I mean, by the time you were like a freshman, sophomore in high school, it was just eat, drink, sleep basketball. Or do you remember like when you got your first uh, recruiting letter or, um, when the recruiting process really started for you? Um, probably after my freshman year, um, just because it's, I feel like it's a big, that's a big, when even the AAU starts to get a little more serious. Um, I was, I was starting on our varsity team as a freshman too. Just now I think my name was a little bit out there just in, in Pittsburgh, but, um, something I, I, I did a lot too was, uh, this was probably a lot thanks to my dad though and everything, but the AAU team, there was definitely some people that were, were looking, but I would always go to, um, I would go to a camp at Eastern Michigan university. This was like from third grade on. Um, I would just go to their, their college camp in the summertime because, uh, my, one of my dad's best friends growing up was an assistant, uh, college assistant coach. And he was at Eastern Michigan at the time for a good, like probably like a six year span. And, um, it kind of started with them um, just because the coach I'd been going there for so long. And now I was like kind of in the high school level playing against other high school guys. So they kind of got me, got me started a little bit with even just like those questionnaires and the letters and everything. And um, Mm -hmm. probably my, my first stuff would, I would, I would say is between like my freshman year and my sophomore year is when it's that kind of stuff kind of got started. Um, and as you went through the process, obviously your dad and your mom were very involved, um, and they were able, they were able to help you out with that because I know some kids, they're either, you know, the oldest child or the only child, and maybe they come from a family where their parents weren't really into sports and all of a sudden they're in this process and it's overwhelming. Um, how did you go through the process? Did you take official visits? Um, did you commit early? What was the process like for you? Um, mine was, it was, it was pretty interesting because, um, I would say definitely had a lot of interest from like all different levels. Um, but it was always funny to me, especially looking back on it now too. And I, I, I've started talking about my, my dad pretty quickly, but he was probably, you know, the whole LeVar ball, it didn't really excite me because, I've, I've lived that for a while already, you know what I mean? But no, he wasn't quite so bad, but this was like his, he's in sales too. So this was like, this was his thing, you know what I mean? So, um, but talking to coaches, he was always, you know, and, and it was never like, when I say that jokingly, it was never in a bad way or anything. It was always fun. You know what I mean? It was always like, I feel like maybe a little bit at the time, you know, refreshing for them to have somebody just kind of real lively and just telling them stories and rather like ask, not like asking like, well, how many minutes are you going to play him if he comes? It was always like this big, like, we're all going to be buddies now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, it got started with that kind of stuff. But uh, originally um, I had a lot of like Patriot league 
schools uh, that level and like some Ivy League schools. And that was kind of all my visits that I took. I would say I was taking those um, sophomore between sophomore and junior year. And then like a lot like during my junior year. And at the time, um, I had offers from Yale and Fairfield in Connecticut. And um, towards the end of my junior year, both of them coaching changes like completely, you know, switched everybody out. So I didn't have those anymore. And then everything else was always, you know, for me, where I ended up was I was going to be a, like a very like a low D1, high D2 guy. So I was always right in between. And then my two D1s that I had, they um, went to much larger schools actually. And it was just like, it didn't work out there. So a lot of the visits I went on were like kind of null and void, <laughs> you know, like I visited Yale, I visited Fairfield. And then by the time I did my visit, uh, they were like end of the season, they were like, Oh, we're taking off. Like nobody's here anymore. You know? So took two more visits at Patriot league schools. And then I actually had, um, four offers, uh, division two offers that were all in the same conference in, uh, it was called um, the West Virginia uh, Conference at the time, which was like, I don't know how familiar you'd be with them, but like West Liberty uh, University, Wheeling Jesuit. Um, and then my school was that I ended up playing at was University of Pittsburgh at Johnstown. Okay. Um, so I ended up going to Pitt Johnstown because uh, when it came down to it and it was like towards the end of my senior year, I was like, I have four division two offers. Um, one of them was like within like 20 minutes of my house. And I was like, I just really don't want to go to school there. <laughs> and uh, the other two um, were in West Virginia. Um, probably what ended up making my decision, though, was just my coach. Um, I, he, he had been recruiting me since I was like a freshman. Um, and he always told me he would be at my uh, not like every game, not every practice or stuff. But when I would see him, he would just say, you're my guy. You're starting as a freshman. I think you can get some other things. If they don't play out, I'm not going to put any pressure on you. Just call me. He says, you'll come. And when you get to campus, I'll give you the ball. It's your team. Like, you're going to lead us, you know. So, wow. um, yeah, he was he was fantastic. And, and and a lot of the other guys, it was weird because they were like, oh, you got to sign now. You know, we really want you. And we don't want to wait on you to see what you're going to do. So, um, it was kind of just like, I, I felt more comfortable with him and, you know, he wasn't putting pressure on me. He was kind of, who knows, maybe he was playing mind tricks on me because he, he always just kept telling me that I was like better and I could get a division one if I wanted it. But if I didn't get it, then I could come play division two for him, you know? So eventually yeah. it was like, I was coming down to decision time. I was actually at an all-star game, uh, here in Pittsburgh and, he was there and I was just talking to him. And then after like 20 minutes, like he didn't even bring up like, well, what day are you going to make your decision? I just kind of blurted out. Like, I really don't know what I'm like thinking about anymore. Like I'm, I'm coming. I was like, I'm, I'm just going to come play for you, you know? So I think it kind of surprised both of us a little bit, you know? And I was just like, it just was happened naturally though, which was, which yeah. was pretty yeah. cool. It wasn't like I had to sit down and do a plus minus checklist or anything. It just was like, you know what? I'm, I'm already leaning this way without putting it down on paper. And I it just feel like this is where I want to go. So I just kind of mm -hmm. blurted it out and everybody was happy after that. Yeah. That's really nice to hear actually, because I think a lot of 
uh, athletes, they do, they feel pressure. They yeah. are stressed. They're like, yeah. Oh, if I don't decide in a week, then maybe they're going to pass up on me and they're going to go to someone right. else. And it can be a really stressful time. So that's really, um, it's really encouraging that he had yeah. that type of personality and that he was willing to let you do whatever was best for you. And in right. the end, you know, it worked out for Something. the both of you. Something else that I would even tell kids now, or I mean, anybody working on professional contracts or deciding on a college is um, there's there's something to be said for somebody who comes to you first. If they're one of the first people that come to you, it, it doesn't always mean like, oh, the first person that gives you something, you have to take that one because you'll never get anything or that's going to be the best one. But there's something to be said that they step up that early rather than almost like you trying to convince someone that they need you later mm -hmm. on. There's something to be said about if they start with you from the beginning and it just kind of shows that they believe in you, you know, mm -hmm. and that situation, it worked out obviously great for me. But when I look back at it, it's like, you know what, there's something to be said that he never like kind of bailed on me or said, like, if you're not going to sign with me now, I'm going to have to find somebody else, you know, just kind of, um, he was there from the beginning. And it was yeah. always like, you know, there was something to be said for that, you know, that maybe I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back on it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Definitely. And listening to you speak, um, I get the sensation that academics were very, very important to you as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to say I sat down and like I said, I didn't really ever sit down and say, well, these academics are going to be better. So I, I, I have to rule this school out or something like that. But, um, yeah, all, all my stuff was, like I said, the the like Patriot League or Ivy League, that stuff would have been great. But I mean, uh, definitely my goal was to use basketball to play like to play overseas. Okay. Um, but I didn't I didn't want to not that any of the schools were bad, but like you don't know going into your freshman year that, you know, you're going to do well enough to get offered any contracts or anything. But yeah, um, so my school was a branch campus because it was a division two school. But uh, still, my degree says University of Pittsburgh and everything, and um, I just kind of liked it when it came down to kind of my my three basketball schools that I was deciding between, like coaches and the program and everything. Um, I won't say it was the deciding factor, but I definitely liked um, kind of the idea that my degree was going to say University of Pittsburgh compared to uh, West Liberty or Wheeling Jesuit, which in no way are, you know, bad degrees or anything. But, um, I just knew that that's like kind of, it's, uh, something that they can't compete with is that's like a very big school to have a degree from, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of young kids ask me, what was the transition like to college, you know, physically practices, uh, classroom, how did you feel the transition went for you uh, physically on the court? Was it a shocker or did you feel like you went in pretty well prepared? Um, I went in pretty well prepared. Thanks to definitely thanks to my coach. Um, he obviously works pretty close with the, with just the university of Pittsburgh as well. And um, he actually sent me kind of knowing that he wanted me to play a lot right away. He sent me to uh, the University of Pittsburgh, which, you know, for me, it's, it's, you know, 15 minutes, I just drive down to campus. And uh, I actually did their full um, strength and conditioning program uh, with the basketball team, and then did their on the court workouts and played with them uh, in the summer. Okay. So at the time, I basically was doing like a Big East <laughs> offseason program. So then when you go to the Division II school, not that it's, you know, not any good, but I'm like, I'm ready to go. I'm like, I'm, I'm operating at a pretty high level right now. But right. Um, 
definitely for me that, you know, that helped a lot. And then just as far as my, my mindset too, like I always had like a chip on my shoulder, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be the best one here. You know, I got to prove I'm, I'm above this, you know, or something like that. But, uh, there's definitely some times where, you know, I can remember some teammates that are like juniors when you come in and, you know, they don't, they don't care who you are, you know, they're going to push you around, you know, they're going to be a little bit, uh, stronger, quicker, faster than you are. They've been playing college basketball for two years. You know, they don't really care who you are coming in. So I definitely had my body and my mind were in great, uh, great shape going into it. But there's definitely, you know, some people that they don't care that your body and your mind are in great shape too. So it's like, you'll, you'll have a, no matter how good of shape you're in, there'll be a couple wake up calls, like right when you get started. <laughs> right. Um, and what about balancing your academics with uh, your sport? Because obviously you're training a lot, um, but classes are calling your attention too. You have to put in a lot of time. Um, what was that transition for you like? That was I, I, that was probably the hardest for me right off the bat because um, I was a, a good student. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like a four four student or something. But I was like, you know, I think I, I don't know what I graduated with, like a three seven or three eight or something, which is pretty good shape you'd think going into college. But for me, that was the hardest because how we did things at school too, when you're taking a lot of your general electives to get started. Um, I had a lot of things, I had oceanography or something like that. You have I to took that too. <laughs> yeah. So this, this is on me for sure, but I'm very, I'll say, I guess, very stubborn where like, I'm like, you know, I'm going to be a business major. I, I ended up getting a, a, a marketing degree and if I don't like it, I'm not going to put it towards it. And it was like, you know what, you got to, you know, I, I didn't get out of study hall my first semester. Cause like, I didn't have a three, I, I think we had to have a three, two or something. And, you know, I, that was, that was tough. A lot of those classes that, you know, to be honest, you really aren't going to care about in the long run, but it's part of school. You got to, you got to get your general electives out of the way to start to get up to your other stuff that you need for your major. So I mean, it was really hard for me to go home and and study uh, oceanar. I'm I'm ragging on oceanography here, but it's my best <laughs> example. But it's re- it was really hard for me to go home and put that work in to that professor's class, where you know that's their class. They don't right. care that you're a basketball player that doesn't care about their class. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's that's where you really have to like you get all that stuff done. But that was the hardest for me for for sure was those. Uh, like that first year and just getting a lot of that stuff that you didn't want to do, you know, out of the way. And, um, eventually it does get a lot easier for everybody. Like I have marketing classes where I'm just, I'm giving a presentation, which is kind of like stuff that I like to do. So I'm putting more effort into that. But that first semester where you're getting used to having like individuals conditioning, um, maybe your lift, your, your team practice for the day, and then you finally like get, you know, you get back to your room and you just want to like kind of hang out a little bit, but you have an oceanography test the next day and just getting, <laughs> getting that in. That's, that's the hardest is kind of doing those classes that you didn't really sign up for, you know? Right. Yeah. So did you live in the dorms? Yes. Yeah. We live, I lived with another basketball player, uh, my freshman year. Um, same thing. You just live in the dorm, the freshman dorms with everybody else, uh, which was great. We loved it. We had a great time. And then. Uh, my sophomore year, I lived uh, in an apartment with three other basketball players. And then junior and senior year, same thing. They had on-campus uh, 
like the the new the nice apartments on campus that we lived in like the last two years but uh, I was with somebody on my team all through college okay and how was your food situation that first year were you guys eating in the cafeteria or yeah yeah we had um, just part of your scholarship you had like unlimited meals in the cafeteria and then we had a smaller um, kind of like a shop where we had a like a subway a pizza hut uh, a grill, like grilled chicken sandwiches, burgers, fries, uh, like a little Mexican pl- Chipotle type place. Now you could say, um, mm-hmm. for me, you know, admittedly no problems. I'm super, I eat like a kid, you know? <laughs> so I could go, cr- I could go crush burgers in the calf and then go to practice, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I, I didn't really, you know, I should even be doing a lot better at it now, but college, I mean, with the exception of like eating pizza hut before the game or something like that you know it was for me it wasn't it it was more like I hope they don't make anything crazy that I don't want rather than like you know what can I find that I need to eat like super 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 healthy or something but um, I would say in their defense they definitely you wouldn't have problems like if you're like looking to be maybe like a vegetarian or gluten-free or something like that for for your body I, I wouldn't say you would have had any kind of problems on campus but for me, no issues. It was more like uh, making sure I didn't use up like too many points in the shop, like so I could still get burger, double burgers, or something like that. So, sure. So the freshman fifteen wasn't a problem for you. You were probably no, no. happy to eat all that and get yeah. you know, gain muscle and whatnot. Run it off, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and you mentioned this before, but so before starting college, you were already thinking that you wanted to play overseas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I. This is probably this is in about like 2008 or nine too, where I don't want to say it wasn't big, but it was. I feel like it was kind of starting to more people kind of pick up on it. So um, I don't want to say I, you know, my my only that was my only concern in life. You know, what what was getting to there, but I, I fully like went in and said like, you know, I want to make sure I stand out. Like this is something that I want to keep doing. You know, after. Uh, after college and everything. And um, I actually, I had a couple, just people in Pittsburgh where it's not a huge thing, but a couple family friends that did it. Um, Hmm. One of the assistant coaches at Pitt Johnstown, um, he played overseas for like three or four years. So it was kind of like starting to hear, um, I always say like in a funny way, like anybody that tells you about it, it sounds very glamorous. (laughs) (laughs) whenever people, oh, I play overseas, that's the coolest thing I ever heard. You know, you don't, you don't get a lot of, you don't get the other details, um, until you get there. But, um, uh, for me, like I said, for that basketball was pretty much my whole life, you know? And yeah. I was like, man, that, oh my gosh, I, I have to at least try it. You know, I, I want to make it there at least if it wasn't so much the fact that I wanted to do all the things that came with it, it was more like uh, just a goal. Like I wanted to be able to reach that level you know, mm-hmm. something a little bit past college and ended up probably going a lot longer than I expected it to. But um, it was always something I was interested in even going into college. Okay. So then uh, when your senior year comes around, um, what was the process like your senior year? Did you get an agent? Uh, because a lot of young players will message me or contact me yeah. and ask me like, do you need an agent? How did you get one? Um, you know, depending on your situation, lots right. of people go about it a different way. How did you go about it? Um, I was actually, I was lucky. I was selected for uh, a really good program. I think now it was a team that went um, 
before my senior year, they took like eight players over and they took us to Belgium and Holland and Germany. And we did like a little tour, um, which was really great just to get your name out there a little bit, which I ended up getting even some emails from some of those teams kind of later on my senior year to say like, we remember you from this. We, we kept track of you and everything. And, um, actually didn't, didn't end up signing, uh, with any of them, but, um, just, I had about three or four agents just in my inbox, uh, like for my email, um, couple emails to me, couple emails to my coach. Um, and then the guy I ended up signing with, uh, in the beginning, was a guy that had reached out to me, but uh, I was going to someone in Pittsburgh who does um, some training now, like a lot of overseas guys and young kids and everything. Um, and he'd actually, he knew this guy, was a Spanish guy actually. So it was kind of, he reached out to me and then I kind of verified him through somebody else. So I was like, okay, this looks like the most promising slash, like I, I have the most information on this guy. Okay. Um, to get start to get started with, and then um, I actually got an he got me an offer in uh, the BBL in England um, in like May, which was really weird. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm just gonna wait. Like, if you don't have to do this till summer, so they ended up kind of backing out after a while. Uh, and then it's like late July, and then I'm kind of like, well, come on, like you had one in May, you know. And I I didn't realize at the time how kind of precious they are you know, um, to have one. So ended up waiting until about August 1st, got something and got on the plane on August 4th. Wow. And yeah, it was it's, like, it was rapid. Yeah. It's tough because especially when you think you're going to do this, um, but you don't have a team yet and you have to continue practicing all summer long in preparation for something yeah. that you, you think is going to happen, but you don't really know. Um, it's hard to stay mentally, uh, and emotionally motivated sometimes, but, I was, um, I was pretty lucky because I was, um, pretty proactive about things all the time anyway. But when I was leaving school, uh, I signed up for something online and I went down to IMG Academy down in Florida and I was, uh, I was training down there, which they do a lot of like NBA stuff over the summer. So one of the trainers is actually from Pittsburgh, um, got with him and he said, Hey, here's the deal sign up for a job down here to do kids camps. So basically he's like, if you come down and, and work for me for these camps and everything and help us do training, he was like, I'll let you hop in all the pro training because mm. they, they have guys down there that are like NBA pre-draft guys or um, guys that are already in the NBA or maybe like Euro league or something that, um, that will train there all summer. So uh, me, a guy coming out of division two, I'm like, heck yeah. You know, and it was great because basically like those guys, their agents pay for it. But like I, that wasn't happening for me. So I got to go down and work and my schedule was a little hectic because they're on the overseas schedule. They're just working out, eat, rest, work out. I was kids camp from eight to 10, work out from 10 to 12, eat lunch real quick, kids camp from 12 to two and then work out with them again. So, you know, yikes. Um, I kind of learned, though, like you're division two guy coming out, you got to do stuff like that. And I mean, that's anything in life. You got to do a little bit extra. So, uh, mm -hmm. it was hectic. I really enjoyed it though, but it was great because I don't know if I would have been by myself in Pittsburgh, not that I wouldn't have worked out. Um, but doing that by yourself is a lot harder than kind of having one of those training places at your disposal. So 
that helped one that I was in shape all summer, but it also helped too, just that I didn't have a choice to like think about anything. It was just that I had to keep, keep doing that. And it wasn't so much like, Oh, I wonder if I'm going to like, I wonder what my agent's doing. I wonder if I'm going to have a team. It was just like, that was every day. And then I kind of just got surprised, you know, oh, the deal came today. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's great. And you got to compete and watch and practice with yes. really top, huge, top huge players. Help. So where was your first job overseas? Uh, my first job was in uh, the fourth division, uh, Regional Liga One in Germany. Yeah, it was oh. teams called Bernau. It was right outside of Berlin. Okay. So real quick, uh, you played a total of, well, you're in your sixth year? I played six years and then this is my first year. I'm like at home now. I didn't, I didn't take anything this year, which yeah. is, I'm sure we'll get, I'm sure we'll get to it, but yeah. <laughs> so real. So give me a summary of first, you went to Germany. Yeah. Then... So first, first season was in Germany. Uh, the next year, um, I actually like didn't get anything in the, like over the course of the summer, uh-huh. um, stayed in shape and played on a team here. Um, just like a semi pro team in the USA. And then from there, I actually did go back to uh, the first division in Portugal, um, played for that same team for two years. Uh, from there, I went to the first division in Romania. Uh, from Romania, I went to Leb Gold in Spain. And from Oviedo. Leb- Oviedo, yep. And then from Leb Gold, I went back to Portugal. Um, down to fine details here, but same league in Portugal, but now I got my Leb Gold under my belt. So I go to like a higher budget team in, in, in Portugal. So gotcha. interesting to go from Portugal to Spain, back to Portugal, but higher budget. So sign me up, you know? Yeah. What city yeah. were you in, in, in Portugal? Uh, Portugal, my first season, my first team that I played for, for two years, I was in uh, Ovar. Ovar. Yeah. It's, um, it's actually a coastal town right it's outside of porto it's about 30 minutes from porto but it's on the beach okay so it's in the north yeah yeah it was up north okay i've heard people talk of i think we're talking about the same city porto or oporto yeah porto porto is the same same yeah and they say it's beautiful beautiful probably if not number one it's top two you know it's definitely one of my favorite european cities that i've been to okay yeah. And then the second time you were in Portugal, what city was that? Uh, Guimarães. Hmm. Guimarães is G-U-I-M-A-R-A-E-S. Guimarães. Okay. Where is that about? That is, uh, so Ovar is about 30 minutes south of Porto. Guimarães is about 45 minutes north of Porto. Okay. Yeah. So nice. Guimarães is very, it's pretty close to, you're getting pretty close to Spain. You're about equally you know, from Spain is probably an hour. You can drive to Spain in like an hour. Yeah. Um, I've only been to Portugal once. We went to Lisbon and I okay. absolutely loved it. Lisbon is, is fantastic. We love Lisbon as well. I don't want to say Porto is night and day, but Lisbon is a lot more commercial, a uh, lot more business, a lot, um, lot busier. Porto is super laid back. Uh, old school Europe, like very um, historic okay. uh, vibes and everything. Really, really cool. Very beautiful yeah. city. It's on my list. Thank go you for, for the it. recommendation. Yeah, go for it. It's, oh, it's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you've played 
six years and in several different countries. Uh, we don't have time to get into the ins and outs of each country, but um, I'm just curious when you look back at your time, like some of the different cultural shocks that you had, maybe um, okay. whether it's language, uh, how you say hello to someone, I don't know. Um, what, what shocked you or what, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to throw Romania under the bus, like oceanography here. right? <laughs> off the bat. Uh, Ro Romania was one of the weirdest things that we learned the first week was, um, that you get a lot of imports there. So there was uh, four Americans and we're all together, like right off the bat. And, uh, we were struggling eating there in the beginning, like soup for lunch. And then we're like, man, we got practice again. Like I need more than soup right now. So we ended up at KFC a lot. And, um, you, you kind of take your time, you know, people are in front of you, give them some space in Romania. No way. They are, they're cutting you. That was some of the craziest drivers I ever seen too. And, um, about our third trip to KFC, we end up with a Romanian guy and, uh, he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I should have told you. He's like, part of our culture is like, if there's any space, he's like, if you see space, you walk in front of that person, like in line and everything. And I was like, we were like, man, that's crazy because um, a lot of the places in Europe too, your grocery store, like people are kind of close to you in line. Like they're not worried about too much space, <laughs> but Romania, they really were like, they were like, I think they're like saying we encourage like cutting in line, you know, if you can do it, you know, uh -huh. so. That was that was pretty weird for me, but um, it was just weird too going from Germany to Portugal those years because Germany was very like, I mean they are boom 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 they're on time they are you know they're very forward they're very formal they're very down to business and Portugal is you know similar to Spain it's much more laid back like we'll get to it don't worry you know mm -hmm. so um, I noticed that huge difference in the beginning and then. Um, other than that, when you start to get used to stuff, it, things don't surprise you as much anymore. But Romania, that was surprising. We were we were all like, man, we, we couldn't get down. We couldn't get down with that right away. <laughs> yeah, and you're probably thinking, I'm bigger than you. What are you doing, like budging in front of me and cutting me right. off all the time? You know? Right. And we're at KFC too. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's an American restaurant. What yeah, the heck? Give me a break. Give me a break here. <laughs> Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that about Germany, because I think we all have our stereotypes about what certain countries are like. And I have yeah. not been to Germany yet, but yeah. we have this stereotype that they are much more serious, um, yeah. organized, whatnot. Um, so to hear you say that that's how it was compared to your other to, to Portugal and to Spain, for example. Um, I, got, I got really spoiled in Germany because it, it was in a weird way, my first season when you have so many expectations and you get hit with so many of those like culture shot and surprises and stuff like that. Uh, it took me a while. I was like, man, this is not what I said. I don't like this. You know what I mean? And then, um, after I left Germany, I, I would say in a crazy way too, that was probably like the lowest like level I've played at. Mm -hmm. They, they might've taken care of everything the best out of anybody interesting yeah it's really it's really really interesting and i um i tell people that have never played overseas uh, that ask me to talk about stuff i say you know you can't compare apples to oranges to bananas to pears to pineapples but i i always say germany my first job that was the lowest level of of basketball and the lowest like kind of i guess level of club i ever played for um not that any of the other teams were like really really bad but this team in germany they were the most on top of everything that had to be done 
all aspects of of stuff that I needed, stuff the team needed. Um, I won't say it's the most luxurious that I, I had stuff, but if mm-hmm. something came up, it got done within the hour. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. <laughs> With all the different countries you've played in, did you have to get visas before going over? I never had to get one beforehand. Um, I had to do um, some. I had to do some background checks for Portugal. Uh-huh. Um, I had to get make sure I just had my wife's stuff, like our marriage certificate and stuff like that in Romania, because she was gonna. That was the first place that she was gonna stay the entire season, uh, uh-huh. straight through. Um, yeah, and then that and then that was it. That was it. Uh, never had okay. to do the visa beforehand or anything. Okay, interesting. Um, and as a point guard, because I play the post, so okay. I don't I don't have to be leading the team yeah. in a different language. Uh-huh. You're a point guard, and you're going overseas, and you're you're the leader of the team, and you're either calling out plays in yeah. German, in Portuguese, uh-huh. in English. I'm not sure. You're having to be the the right hand man of the of the coach on the right. floor. What was that transition like? Because I'm assuming it's not easy. Really, really lucky. Like I said, my, my first season when you don't know anything and you say, oh, everything is, is stupid. Like I know everything, but really lucky. He spoke fantastic English. He made everybody, you know, kind of adapt to that. Um, he basically coached in English. And then if there was something that I didn't need, he would, you know, get in German and everything. Um, but they were pretty there was pretty good too. They all spoke very good English. They were in Berlin, capital city, big city, a lot of English there. Um, so that was easy. Like, I don't remember having anything like too difficult. Now I picked up on some things just to say hello and kind of be able to have a few things with them. But, um, after that, my, my, my second year in Portugal, we had a Spanish coach and, uh, definitely had to at least call out plays in, um, either Portuguese or Spanish. But I remember that year we had three Americans. Um, we practiced in Spanish. The Portuguese guys understood the Spanish coach. Um, and we had an assistant coach who would just kind of give us like cliff notes on the fly, you know? (laughs) Um, but we picked it up. It was never, it was never difficult. That's just how it worked, you know? But, uh, my, my next year in Portugal, the assistant was actually the head coach. Now he was all English all the time. He was a guy that played, for 20 years played with so many Americans he you know he just kind of went with that and it wasn't difficult for every for anybody um Romania we only had like three or four Romanians on the team we had guys from Serbia Israel Croatia um Estonia all kind of places so uh, our coach was Israeli and we were in Romania that was just that was in practice was in English I mean nothing happened in Romanian so that was very easy and then I got to Spain and I started <laughs> and I spoke Spanish when I got to Spain. Um, yeah, that was what went down there. But um, no, a lot of guys on the team could speak English, but they're like, yeah, this is going to happen in Spanish. Um, I took uh, Spanish from seventh grade on. Um, so I, I, I wasn't speaking Spanish when I got there. I could speak Portuguese when I got there and I was getting really screwed up for a while. But having that baseline of knowing stuff it was more, I just had to pick up on vocabulary and directions and stuff like that, but it wasn't, I didn't start from ground zero. So I was really lucky, but, um, yeah, that stuff I was, I was doing in Spanish, but they're, uh, really lucky 
assistant coach was um, he played at Boston College. He was, you know, guy used to having Americans. He spoke fantastic English. So stuff I needed a lot of help with. Um, he was giving it to us all in English and everything. Um, but calling plays, it was you call your play in Spanish and any quick directions in the game, like do it in Spanish just so it's easier, you know, but um, that was the most that I had to adapt. And even I wish I probably could have done even more uh, than I did do, but was really lucky there too. Our captain spoke really good English. So he would, if I was like, Vic, I need something a lot quicker than I'm going to figure out how to say it, tell him really quick, he'll get the information out, you know, but like you said, as far as calling plays or stuff like that, um, it was time to brush up on my Spanish and make sure I knew what I was doing. Sure. Um, you mentioned before that your Romanian team, um, you had a lot of foreigners. I think about the, the uniqueness of being an athlete and playing a sport and how, how many different people we have to work with, um, different cultures, people from different languages from all around the world. Um, what do you think you do as a point guard to help that work? And how do you, when you arrive to a new country, how do you try to relate to your teammates and bond with them when there are barriers like a language? Because I think that's really important, at least for me. It's important for me to be able to connect with my teammates, have some chemistry. Um, And you can, you you can attest too. there's, there's huge differences in teams that are close and teams mm -hmm. that are just there together, you know, but, um, not that I, I regret it, but when I was in Romania, we we uh, we struggled. It wasn't, you know, we weren't like a top three team or anything. We were right in the middle of the pack, and we were very close. Um, but I wish, in a weird way, I, I wish I would have handled it better because for me it was a, uh, like full disclosure, it was just a huge step up in pay and, and league. So I went in to kind of, don't want to say happy to be there, but I was like the, the coach was um, he was coming from EuroLeague the season before. So I was like, I really just want to make sure everybody likes having me there, that I work hard, that I kind of fall under what the coach wants me to be doing. And we were there. We were very, very close uh, team wise because of some of the stuff the club was kind of <laughs> doing to us. So we got, we got close, but I wish there I would have stepped up more as like a, a leader, like an iron fist a little bit. Okay. Not that we goofed around or, you know, but it was, I, I wish I would have controlled a lot more rather than been like, we're all in this together, you know? Cause it was kind of like, it worked for us like that. We got very close, but I wish I would have maybe challenged people some more, um, some stuff like that. Uh, kind of the same in Spain because, there were, they had a good nucleus that was there the season before they had a, a Spanish point guard that was there the season before. And I felt like there, I was more of a, um, more of like a spark, you know, more of like kind of a score flashy play kind of guy where I didn't feel as comfortable not telling people what to do, but being like, you guys need to follow me. You know what I mean? It was, that mm-hmm. was a little bit different, but When I got to my last season in Portugal, the experience that I had there and the team wasn't so diverse as guys that had played at super high levels, um, guys that had, you know, been on the team the year before. When I got to Portugal, I had kind of learned from those two years, especially um, as the point guard and everything. 
I was like, you know what? Like, I have to be very vocal from the start. I have to go out of my way to, I mean, I'm, I'm friendly and people, you know, I'm a friendly guy too. I don't have any like problems in the locker room or stuff like that, but on the court, I have to kind of show these guys that I'm going to demand certain things uh, from everyone, you know, which it definitely, it worked well there. And I saw people start to follow me. And I, I wish it was something that I would have picked up on kind of earlier in my career where um, my second year in Portugal, I had a really big year. I led the league in scoring and assists. Hmm. And people just kind of followed me just because things were going well, you know what I mean? Like I was getting things done in the game and I started to pick up more on that leadership stuff. And then I went to Romania and you know, I wish I would have done a lot better, but I, I had guys telling me they were on like Cervantes Vesda the year before and guys that are coming from like playing like Euro cup and stuff. And um, I was like, okay, I, I want to learn from him, you know, like I want to learn how to operate at that level where when I got to like my last year plan, it, I, I realized it should have, it should always be me kind of, you know, make sure people want to follow me, make sure um, I'm leading even like defensive drills and practices where people, you know, when you're that main guy, people will just kind of start to flock to you a little bit, you know? So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not the worst thing that ever happened to me that I didn't kind of get the job done like I wanted to, but I definitely learned it from those two kind of tougher places. When I went back to Portugal, I was like, this is how I need to do things. I need mm -hmm. to step up from, from day one. I mean, day one of, you know, your strength and conditioning guy in the gym, I say afterwards, I, for no reason, almost, I said, guy, we need to do a little more than that, you know, tomorrow. Like I didn't come here to, you know, for, I didn't come back here for us to be in the middle of the pack. Like we're here to be in the top two teams, you know, mm -hmm. so let's hold ourselves to that. And then, you just see all of a sudden guys are, wow, okay, all right. You know what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. where um, I, I wish I would have stepped up like that a little bit more, but it, you, you got to learn stuff like that too. So, right. It's all experience, yeah. uh, learning process. Right. Um, all right. One question I wanted to ask you as well, since you've been in so many different countries, the differences between the European system and the American system. American system, you go to high school, you go to college, you play with guys that are around your same age. Right. European system, almost everything is a club sport. Uh -huh. And if you're good enough, you and can you be go, you go 16, where you fit. <laughs> 16, 15 years old playing against the senior guys that are in yep. their 20s and 30s, like a Ricky Rubio or a Luka Doncic. Yep, um, you go where you're capable of. <laughs> right. When you look at those two systems and you've played in both of them, um, do you prefer one over the other or they have yeah, their pros and their cons? It's really funny. Like being home, I actually, I helped out with a, with a high school team this year in the area. And there were so many things that I, you know, was familiar with obviously growing up, but now with, you know, playing professionally in so many places and seeing how Europe does it, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I, I like, I hate this. Like, we should be doing it even, even down to like the practice, you know, but, um, there were so many things that like, I like from Europe that I come back and I see, like, I think I like that European way better, but then it was fun at the same time when I'm in Europe, I'm like, I feel like we're better from doing things a certain way. So 
I don't know if there's a way to combine those, but just off the top of my head, like I love, I love the, the, the team aspect of the United States, I guess, where you're always with, you're growing with the people who are your age and getting better with them as a team all the time. Mm-hmm. But I addressed it in the AAU thing earlier. I love playing against people who are bigger and better than you. So, you know, I, and I can just see like 16 year old kids have a higher understanding of basketball, have a higher understanding of, you know, offense and defense of some of their skill work, like European kids compared to a sophomore in high school in the United States. But I also think a sophomore in the United States can maybe show up somewhere and play just because, okay, I got, I I got to do it, you know, rather than a European guy say, well, I need to know like what we're doing in order to, you know, play where the freedom of the American style helps you, but you're already smarter as a 16 year old in Europe. It's, it it almost feels like an oxymoron, like when you're talking about it, you know, I guess, I guess there's positive and negatives to both, but it's funny being in both locations. I I, kind of think of the other one, like, Oh, I wish you were doing stuff like this a little bit, you know? Right. Right. Well, what about the academic side? because you've played in six teams and I'm curious how many teammates over the years, I mean, you don't have to name all of them, but did you have guys that were studying at the same time as they were playing? Because it's really difficult in Europe to play professionally and get your degree at the same time, which is why a lot of guys are going to the United States to study and play because they're college years. It's it's a little bit more easy. Um, But over in Europe, it's set in stone. Yeah. Right. It's really difficult. So that's, that's one negative thing that I see about the European system. It's still possible. Yeah. But I've had, I've had teammates that are 28 and 29 years old who are still working to get their degree because it takes so long. Yeah. So like, it's not surprising when there's, you know, the quote unquote, like the kids that are, you know, in high school when they're 18 or something that are maybe coming to your practice afterwards. But like, even this past year for me, it was like really surprising. Like I had a guy, he was the same age as me. He was 28 and he was like, Oh, I, I, I have my exams. Like I'm, I'm going to finish my degree right now. And it's like, Oh man. Like, and he's like, Oh, well you have to take time off for basketball and stuff, but you can go back. And I was like, man, that's pretty crazy to think about. Like even that he was doing probably the year before, like what we're doing for practice and working on his degree, you know? So that was, I, de- I, I know for sure I had a teammate last year, uh, I played with a Serbian guy too. That he kind of just said the same thing. He was like, "Well, I'm basically just not going to finish mine because I play basketball now." And he said, "I started it. I was trying to do both. I didn't like it, so my degree, you know, see ya. I'm a basketball player." And you know, he's he's still playing, so it's like, you know, how much does either one mean to you? But it's just it's it's much more, you know, the setup of the clubs and the tra and just stuff like that. It's much different to do it in the U S compared to Europe and everything. Right. Because there's no connection between the club and the university. So your professors overseas, they don't care if you have a game. They're like, that's a hobby. You play basketball. What? You're supposed to be working for a degree. (laughs) Right. It's always interesting to me, which is why this podcast is called another season in the books because it has that double meaning, meaning another season come and gone as well as another season studying while being a professional athlete. Um, and obviously now 
now you're done overseas, but yeah. you're still playing, correct? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like, so basically this um, free agency summer, I guess, um, after this, I was starting to get ready. We wanted to buy a house. We were kind of starting to get ready to talk about um, kids and everything. We were saying, hey, we're going to entertain everything that comes up this summer. Um, actually got an offer pretty early in June for uh, Germany Pro A, which we would have been ecstatic to go do and everything. But of course, like it was really early. So they go, went really like low on the money. And then they, they wanted us to share an apartment. Um, they were like, this is how we do it here. It always works like that. And we were just kind of, we're over the apartment sharing. Like we did it when we were dating and stuff and like younger. And um, my second year, uh, all the Americans lived together in Portugal. My first season in Portugal, second year playing. Um, at the time she was my fiance, come over. We had an absolute blast. It was like college. And then <laughs> it was great. But now we just don't want that anymore. So uh, we passed on that pretty early. And then um, once we once we found out she was pregnant, um, my only offers that came through were one was for Serbia and one was for Montenegro and uh, or sorry, uh, Macedonia. And um, being on the fence to start with, I didn't know if I wanted to go do those. Um, end of July, something came across with uh, BBL Germany, which we were like, we got to go do it if it comes up. Um uh, ended up just didn't get the, just didn't get the offer and, uh, just kind of called it from there. And, um, I was like, I'm not playing anymore. I'm not going to work. I'm just can't wait to like not have anything that lasted about a month. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, just started getting the itch a little bit. So I signed up for some men's leagues and stuff like that. Um, just to, just to keep running and stay in shape. And then, uh, a friend of mine, he, he has a semi pro team. That's about two hours from here. Um, so he was like, hey, if you're home, I'd love to have you, you know. So I was like, yeah, it sounds better than a men's league if we're playing against, like, guys that used to play overseas or want to play overseas or played in college. Uh, so I went up there for the first game, and I had 55. And um, I was 55? Like, yeah, I was like, man, I was like, maybe. And then my wife said, well, I didn't, you know, she's like, maybe we should go back next year, you know. But, um, no, for me, getting out of the the grind and the rhythm and the – what you're used to doing for it. Not that I couldn't start it again. I think my body could still take it. Um, I don't want to start it again just because I'll, I'll be upset that I even didn't do it for a year, you know, like to get back into the rhythm and everything, but uh, still play, still feel good. A little bit sad. I probably could have stuck it out another year. I think I'm actually probably, probably the best right now that I am, you know, that ever played. So I'm like, man, like, Oh, well, but no, we, we, um, we bought a house. We have a baby actually coming in like a couple weeks. So Congratulations. I, to be honest, we didn't want to do it for three to four more years. We were really hoping one or two more, but with all the other stuff now, it's just like, I, I'm really enjoying being home. I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to the baby and everything. So it's like, I'm not, I don't sit in my room and cry at night, you know? <laughs> Um, okay. And just for my records, the league that you're playing in is, is it a, it's the PBL professional yeah, basketball? I'm, yeah. I'm not really playing in it. I've been to three games. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. your team is called team Dubois. 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 Okay. Yeah. Dubois. Dream. Cause I, 
I have a friend who has that last name and he oh, pronounces yeah. it with a French accent and it's Dubois. I'd have to, I'd have to get into that with them. Cause that's the whole thing too. But in Pennsylvania, that's called, it's called Dubois. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, um, it's a buddy of mine just from, he's, he's from there, but I know him from, from being in Pittsburgh and everything. And, um, I basically didn't know how serious it was. And I mean, it's, they take it very, it's a very serious league. There's only, uh, I think there's like six teams in it or something, but, um, I told him, I was like, I can't travel. And like, I was like, I, I wanted to go up and play some good basketball and it was good competition, but it's actually, um, it's two hours from me. Yeah. So when you go do it, it's a really long day and you're just like, I don't, I don't need that. It's not, it's not the same for, or for me or for you or anybody. It's just, it's not the same. And it's like, I don't want to drive two hours to kind of hold on to this, you know? Right. Do the yeah. guys that play in the league get paid? Yeah. They make, um, I think they make, depending on who you are, if you're a constant, consistent guy or like some guys that fill in sometimes, I think they make like 150 bucks a game. Okay. I think they probably I'm, play 20 games for the season. Okay. Like I said, I, I went to, I think I went to four total games mm-hmm. though. I, they're, they're on Saturdays and Sundays too. And then the fact that I'm working now and it's like, if I haven't played in like a week or something or two weeks, I'm like, I'll go up there and play. But then when it's like the next, when I just drove up there the next weekend, I don't want to go back. I don't feel like driving back. Up, right. So. Right. Um, okay. And then we're getting towards the end of the end of the interview here, but what, um, what kind of advice would you give to young players who are thinking about embarking in a journey overseas? Like what kind of uh, personality traits or what kind of mindset should they have, or would you encourage them to have in order for them to have a successful, um, career? Number one is, um, I probably came up with this like last, like ever since I finished, but it's just whatever advice you get, or I don't want to say advice, but whatever stories that you get from other people, just drop your expectations because I mean, everyone's is different. Um, Like me and Mike could give somebody the same person, all of the advice we have, and they're going to be two completely, completely different stories just Mm -hmm. as far as what to expect. So it's like, just go into it very open-minded and don't say, don't, you know, get down if, if things surprise you or are a little bit more difficult than you thought. Um, something I told a, a, a buddy of mine, I was in like my fourth year, he was going into his first year. Um, it, it almost sounds like it doesn't make sense, but I, I told him on the court, like find the best line you can find the best way that you can fall in line, but also stand out which is like, you don't want to be there and be somebody who everything is about them because on like a professional team where you're getting paid, it's not all about you, but you also cannot fall into the mix where you're not, they bring you from America and you're not playing well enough and you don't matter as much to the team. You know, you have to go into it where you're the main guy without causing problems. And that goes for off the court too. You have, you, you can't be somebody that's over there causing issues from the team and everything like that. But, um, broad scale is just keep an open mind. Um, treat it, the street basketball, the same way as you've always treated it. It's the reason that you have the opportunity in the first place. But, um, yeah, just don't, 
don't expect things to go the same way as they did for for somebody else. Um, same as playing, always, you know, put in that little bit extra work after practice, extra shots. Like you're only going to get, you know, one chance at it. And each summer is kind of your one chance at it because you never really know what's going to happen. So, you know, mm-hmm. just take advantage of it and, you know, never, never take it for granted, but never put, you know, too much on it where if it's not going how you've expected, you know, don't get down on yourself or, or, mm-hmm. or, or something like that. Cause everything's going to be different. Everything's going to be a different culture every year. Um, different expectations every year from, you know, where you end up. So it's always kind of go with the flow, roll with the punches is, is the biggest thing that you can keep in mind. Right. When you say keep an open mind, that just makes me think about, um, guys that come from division two, II, division one, the resources that we have in the United States, the facilities, oh, yeah. um, the physical therapists, everything. When you go overseas, were you shocked to see what kind of facilities you had or what kind of resources you had? Because I'm assuming it was less than what you had yeah. experienced in college. Oh, yeah. There was um, my, my first year, like I said, I mean, all never, you know, have I had a team that's been like a horror story at all, you know, like where it's like you couldn't even be there if you had to try. But uh, my first team in Germany, which I said was so great, um, our quote unquote, like, you know, our physio was just a guy that came to the gym with a bag. You know, we didn't have, there was no room anywhere. It just was, if something happened, he was there. And he was, a, I think he was just like a chiropractor or something, you know, that could help out with some stuff. And then um, after I got to Romania and uh, I had actually, I had a little bit of an ankle problem just from, from playing and training right before I went, like I rolled my ankle. So I wanted to make sure I taped and, you know, got ice and everything. And first day they said, here's our, here's your physio, you know, good to meet you. And, um, so I'm thinking I'm at this like pretty good level right now. And I say, Hey, I need my ankle taped before practice. And the guy just looks at me with a straight face and just says, I don't do that. He's like, I don't do that. Cause I don't know how to do that. And I'm like, what the heck? So they're like, yeah, we don't have somebody to do that for you. And then, uh, after practice, I'm like, well, where do we get ice? Like, where's the ice, you know, for your ankle, you know? They're like, there's a gas station across the street. You can buy some. So I was like, okay, <laughs> well, so thank that, one's you. Pretty, that one's pretty bad. But, um, a lot of places like, I mean, you don't, you don't have the stuff that you're used to having in college. I mean, very, very far from it. You have your locker room. And if there's like another, if there's a separate room for your physical therapy stuff, or if the, the team has a gym, you're, you're pretty lucky. You know, it's not, you don't have that stuff that you're used to. Right. It's not as glamorous as it might sound in the beginning. It's not as glamorous as it sounds in the beginning. Now, you know, there's very high levels that have very high level of, um, uh, you know, operations like that. But 90% of the time you are walking into something that is not going to be the same quality as a division two, II, division one school. Right. Um, okay. Rapid fire. Uh, what's your Jersey number and why? War one, my whole life, uh, war four in college because guy year ahead of me had one <laughs> and, uh, war seven, uh, my whole pro career because, um, the team in, in Germany, I wore four. My first year, I wore four because they had it. Uh, team in Portugal, I didn't get to pick. They gave me seven. Uh, thought it was cool and played pretty well. So just kept that for the rest of my pro career. I kept seven. So was fine with okay. that one. All right. Good enough answer for me. Um, when you go overseas, is there any type of food product that must be in your suitcase that you know you're not going to be able to have? Oh, man. I probably 
don't have this one as good since I didn't go over, but um, I I knew I always needed peanut butter, which people have peanut butter, but it's very hard to find and it's very expensive. Yes. So I always had to have like, if I needed like a quick peanut butter and jelly or like, I always liked in the morning before morning practice real quick, like, um, like just peanut butter on an English muffin and some orange uh-huh. juice or something. So they definitely have peanut butter everywhere, but you get like this much for like seven euros and it was always so expensive, but yeah, you can stuff. find, you can find Nutella, Nutella everywhere. Nutella, no problem, but peanut butter, right. like Jif peanut butter, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I had peanut butter. I've always had peanut butter and I would give it to my teammates sometimes and it would be their first time eating peanut butter. And oh, it was so, yeah. it was so funny to see somebody eat peanut butter for the first time because it is pretty sticky. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I gave a teammate just last year, my, my mom sent me, um, Reese peanut butter eggs for like Easter or something like a care package. And I give one of those to one of my teammates. And when I say mind blown, I mean, <laughs> other places I found Reese cups, other places, but I don't think I ever like really saw them in Portugal. And, mm-hmm. uh, I gave my teammate one. I don't think he ever had one. And he was like, this is, he's like, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. You know? <laughs> You got to get some of that American sugar, man. <laughs> right, right. Um, okay, and this might be a little bit more difficult of a question, but in all the countries that you've played in, do you have a favorite word that you learned in any of the languages that you thought was really funny to say or anything like that? Probably. I'm trying to think. Spanish was never really like funny to me. Like Spain, you don't really have any like funny ones and you kind of have to be like good at Spanish. So you take it more seriously. (laughs) But, um, we, we joked around my, my Serbian teammate last year, he spoke really good Portuguese too. So like we would just joke about like a lot of the stuff, but I mean, one that, one that sticks with you all the time is, um, Fodas. Like Fodas uh, is Portuguese for uh, F that. Yeah, F, F. It just means F. F this. <laughs> Fodas. And that one, they they shorten it sometimes and they say Dus is just the end of it. So they say that one all the time. Um, Germany is the same way. Germany, they say Scheisse a lot. Scheisse. Scheisse uh-huh. is pretty funny. Um, those ones, I, I'll always like even say those to myself sometimes just as like a habit from being over there. But um, a fun, funny story was a German coach who I said was very good at English. He was going off on us one time, just in German though. So I must've been exempt and uh, I'll never forget. He, he's screaming at everybody and he just says, da, 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 this, that, this, that. And he says, das ist bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I'm not a German expert, but I know that means that is, you know, so I knew, I knew what he was, I knew what he was getting at. I knew, I knew he had to go to English for that one, but, um, I wish there was a lot of funny German words, but I didn't I even bet. dive into that. It was it was just too hard for me. I, I didn't pick up a lot of it. It was too hard, but Yeah. Uh, so yeah, long Portuguese, and just Portuguese, that was my that was my funny one. We had a lot of a lot of words that we thought were hilarious all the time. A friend of mine who played with me in Logroño, she's on okay. the Portuguese national team. Oh yeah. And she's a post player, so we okay. always we always practiced at the end of practice together, worked on our shots, whatever. Uh-huh. And she when you said that word, it made me think of her right away because oh, she would that's... always she would yeah. say it if she left a shot short or whatever, short, she'd be like, yeah. Oh, dust. Oh, you know? dust. Yeah, that's everything. <laughs> that's 
I mean, for that, it's not really a swear word for them. It's just like, that's like everything, you know, they just say that, Right. they say that all the time. Uh, we had another one last year. It was our favorite. It was just called, uh, it's pretty much like entonces, but in Portuguese, it's uh, entao, entao, like E-N-T-A-O that they always use. And it means like, so, like, and and now, like, yeah, and like, and now. And they said it all the time. We just got a kick out of it, you know, so we, <laughs> we just started saying it all the time. And that one got stuck with us. Uh, entao, entao. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Um, okay, two more. Okay. What What is your favorite move on the court? Favorite move? In and out, crossover into a pull up. Okay. That's me. End of the end of the shot clock. If it's about six seconds left, I get you right at the top of the key. Right hand, like little little stutter step, kind of take my time a little bit there. Right hand in and out, crossover, shoot up, shoot out of the crossover. Just elevate and shoot the mid range pull up out of the crossover. Okay. Good, good for a point guard to have. Yep. Um, and through the course of your career, a least favorite or some move that you never really were able to dominate or that you just don't enjoy? Spin move. Spin move. I don't have it. It's just not there. <laughs> just, I spin. There's no point for me to spin. It's, it's even if I like naturally it comes to me, I got to do it like slow, like, like spin, like put two dribbles in there and like put the ball down. You know, I could, I could never, Never spin move was never in my game ever. <laughs> you know, it's bad when it comes to you that quickly. <laughs> yeah. I like your honesty. I like your yeah. honesty. Yeah. Well, Nick, that about does it. This was an absolute pleasure. Really. Uh, this is the first time we've ever met. Uh, yeah, on we're, Skype. we're good right off the bat here. Yeah. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. It's, it's fun to not being like in the season right now. It's, it's, fun to talk about it. So I'm glad I got to do it. Yeah. Well, and for me, I appreciate it because I've got so much time on my hands now that our season was canceled. Oh, they canceled uh, you guys completely? Completely. Well, it's not officially canceled, but it's more than likely going to be canceled. And we were, we were currently number one in the league and we were, we were already classified for the playoffs and I'm in, I'm playing in the second division right now. So we were going to have a chance to win it and move the team up to the first division. If you guys won the regular season, are you already up or you had to be playoffs? Well, we still have four games to finish the regular season. And if we would have played, if we would have played today, Saturday, we were supposed to have a game. And if we would have won, we would officially be like the number one. Like there's no chance that you're not number one. Right. But you could move move up from the regular season though. I don't think so. I think they're just going to, it's going to be a wash. Oh man. That's I know. So I was just, I was just asking, cause I know for, for the men's like Leb gold, like, um, whoever finishes the regular season first, they don't even go to the playoffs. mm -hmm. Like they'll, they'll take that promotion right away. And then also whoever wins the playoffs then gets that second promotion spot and everything. But Oh man, that's tough that you're in first place and then I know out of, your, I, out, of, out of anybody's hands, I guess. Yeah, and I this is my 12th season overseas, and it wow. was going to be my first time going to the playoffs. Oh really? Yep. Oh, man. <laughs> that's, oh that's a that's crush that's killer right there. My my very first my very first season in Germany, um, like it was a lower league, and it was 
there were, there were no playoffs for the league. Um, hmm. You just, it was, you had to finish uh, in first place. There was four sections of this regional Liga and um, you would go to pro B in Germany. As long as you win your section of it, we finished in second place and we beat the first place team twice. Oh, so we screwed up some couple. We screwed up. We lost like two. I think we lost three, two games to like the third place team. And then we lost one to like the fourth or fifth place team. But we finished in second, beat the first place team twice that we missed our promotion spot and everything. But man, dang. Um, does your husband play too? Um, he used to when he was okay. younger, but okay. he's, he's like four and a half years older than I am. So he just turned 39. Okay. Um, but he stopped playing when he was like 23, 24. Okay. And, uh, kind of started working. He's Spanish actually. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so you're, 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 you're sticking over there for a while anyway. <laughs> I'll be here for a while. I know because of this whole coronavirus, people have You're been not coming home me. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. Did There's you, did a, you always play in Spain? Uh, my first year I was in Switzerland. Okay. And then, um, my agent got me a job in Spain. And because I had studied, I minored in Spanish in college. Um, okay. I was like, oh man, if I can go to Spain and work on my Spanish and continue playing basketball, fabulous. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I've been in Spain ever since. And, uh, but right now I'm currently playing for Estudiantes and uh-huh. we have a, we have a men's team. Uh-huh. Um, they play in the ACB, but some yeah. of the guys, they're like, oh yeah, you know, uh, safe travels going home, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not <laughs> going home. You know, right. like my husband is Spanish. I'll be here, but everybody else is leaving because yeah. they're, they're getting out of here and going home. I don't know if when they get home, they'll have to be in, uh, quarantine 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 i think they said i think what they've been saying is um they they might actually restrict all travel now but what they've been saying is uh americans they're they're let you can come home um you're not gonna get quarantined if you get you get tested when you come home Hmm. and i think that only takes like a day or like overnight or something so you okay. have to stay there and then they're going to do the test. And as long as you don't have anything, they, they just, they let you go immediately. But if you do have something, you get quarantined for like 14 days and you have to stay, I guess like airport jail type thing. But um, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm hoping that we're starting to take a lot of precautions now that it kind of like shuts it down pretty quickly, but yeah. unprecedented, unprecedented for sure. Yeah. I know two of the guys are supposedly leaving tomorrow. So, um, I'll be really interested to know how that goes for them. And, uh, because I know there was a guy from Real Madrid, the men's team who, uh, is infected. And then there was another guy from another team. So, I mean, you know, everything has just come to a complete stop because once one player has it, the whole team is in quarantine. Yeah. I mean, imagine, think about when somebody on your team has a cold, like, right. (laughs) You're getting it. You're getting it. it. So it's like, oh man. Oh my, uh, our doctor has written me a message ever since, uh, cause our last practice was Tuesday and uh, then Thursday, they basically told us that we don't have practice anymore. And he's been writing to us every day, asking us how we're feeling and how we're doing. So oh, I still good. feel fine. And I think if I do get it, I'll probably survive it just fine. I'll have to, you know, take yeah. some medicine and whatnot, right. but for the older generation and for people that have pre-existing health conditions that could be, could be scary. So try to stay away from that. That's why it's kind of in the middle because I mean, it is scary for some people and you don't want to give it to someone who it's really bad for them too. But as far as, like you said, us, like 
you're just going to beat it pretty much like like any other flu. But that's the funny part about it is we, there, we've been joking here, like people treating it like bird box or something like like instant. I mean, instant death to anyone who's near it. You know what I mean? It's like that's not really what's happening, though. That's no need for all that panic. But you still want to be smart. You don't want to pass it around to somebody who doesn't need to have it or anything. So. Right. And yeah. it's still so new that we really don't know everything about it. So right, right. You'd rather not be involved with it if you don't have to be. <laughs> exactly. Which exactly. is why. So I actually have a, a championship for just like a men's league um, tomorrow, which I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> and yeah, like I don't really need it, you know. But um, then also my uh, my high school where I played, they're having their banquet tomorrow. They asked me to come speak, like at the banquet. Oh. And I'm just like, man, I really don't think anything's going to go wrong, but I'm going to be, my wife's having a baby in two weeks. I don't think I need to go get sick tomorrow, you know? Right. And then pass it along to her. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows what to do? So yeah, hopefully we, hopefully we just, everybody stays safe and figures it out. Yep. Well, uh, like I said, Nick, this has been an absolute pleasure. I'm glad to have a new friend in Pittsburgh. Sounds good. uh, Yeah. Best of luck with your yeah, you too. With the upcoming, you know, baby and your yeah, job. And, yeah, cool. Yeah, thank yeah. you. I really appreciate you having me. I had a great time. And there you have it. A look into the life and basketball career of Nick Novak. Even though it's not very strong, I still enjoyed listening to Nick's East Coast accent. It's evident he's not from Minnesota. I'd also like to point out that this interview took place three weeks ago, and since then, the coronavirus has forced Spain into a lockdown situation. Now, I only leave my house to go to the grocery store. If I were to go for a walk, I could get fined a minimum of 600 euros. I hope everyone listening to this podcast is safe, healthy, and doing whatever possible to help prevent the spread of this virus. Social distancing being the number one action we are all capable of exercising. Before I go, I want to thank all of you for listening. It's truly a pleasure hearing the story of people like Nick, people who live life to its fullest, radiating energy, positivity, and a can-do attitude wherever they go. Nick squeezed every possible drop out of his basketball career, and now he's doing the same thing with his college degree. He's a great example of what it looks like when someone pursues their interests and understands what it is that motivates them and makes them excited. Sometimes that's easier said than done, but Nick sure does make it look easy. If you enjoyed the show, please let us know by taking a couple seconds to evaluate us. The more support we have, the more people will hopefully find us, allowing them to tune in and hear the stories and words of wisdom from all these student and professional athletes. Thanks again for listening to another season in the books. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, wishing you all a safe and healthy week.